It's Mick on the mic, and you're listening to the Cults and Crime Podcast, where we do a deep dive into the ideologies and crimes of known cults and sects. Please note that today's episode includes violent and sexual themes, which may make some listeners uncomfortable. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hello friends, and welcome to episode one, Nexium. Today we'll explore the ins and outs of the cult called Nexium. Before we start, I want to add a quick disclaimer in this episode. In the world of Nexium, gender only exists as a dichotomy, men and women, and focuses heavily on heterosexual relationships, framing them as though these are the only type of relationships that exist. I do not share these beliefs, and this is not how the world exists in reality. Now back to the episode. Nexium is a name of Roman origin, taking meaning from multiple interpretations, such as the next millennium, place of learning, and a reference to debt bondage. Nexium was an umbrella company consisting of multiple sub-companies and workshops. It was founded in 2002 by Keith Renair and Nancy Saltzman. But the story isn't really as simple as that. Let's step back a little and take a look at the life of the man who started it all and what led him here. Keith Renair was born August 26, 1960, making his current age 63, almost 64. He was raised by a single mom who passed away while he was in college from heart disease. Renair claims he was gifted from a young age. He boasts of being able to speak at age one, read at age two, and that he was gifted on an intelligent test he took at age eight. As per his family, from then on, Renair considered himself superior and godlike. He also claimed that by age 12, he was a judo champion, a self-taught concert pianist, and had mastered calculus. Leaving public school at age 16, he was accepted to the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, a private research university in Troy, New York, and graduated with three bachelor's degrees in math, physics, and biology, with minors in psychology and philosophy. Despite Renair's claims of a childhood full of academic achievement and his entry in the Guinness Book of World Records for having one of the highest IQs in the world, his grades in university ranged from C's to F's, ending with a modest 2.26 GPA, which is approximately a 56% average. Self-described as a philosopher, ethical man, scientist, and the smartest man in the world, Renair believed he possessed mystical powers and could save the world. He claimed he was the only member of humanity who was fully integrated, which is Nexian speak for enlightened, so much so that he did not need sedative practices, which is Nexian speak for gluttonous, such as sex and sleep. Since he was an advanced being, he believed he would eventually find the chosen one, who he would have an extraordinary child with. He also believed his semen had special properties and caused women to see a blue light on ejaculation. Being the charismatic charmer he was known to be, Renair worked for well-known multi-level marketing company Amway in the 1980s. Eventually, he left and founded his own company, Consumers Byline, in 1990, selling products at cheaper rates. However, this closed in 1996 after an investigation into multiple broken pyramid scheme laws. Before the closure, Renair met his girlfriend, Tony Natalie, outdoors while she was having a smoke. Renair approached her and asked her if she wanted to quit. 
Natalie agreed and followed him up to his office where she stayed for two and a half hours. To this day, she still doesn't remember what happened, but she never had a cigarette since. Natalie went on to manage Awaken, a health business under the Rainier Empire, which closed in 1997 and was replaced with the National Health Network, still owned by Rainier. This is where Natalie met a woman named Nancy Salzman. Salzman met with Natalie to find a solution to her constipation. Natalie suggested a supplement. The two got to talking and became fast friends. Confiding in her friend, Natalie told Saltzman of the trouble she was having in her relationship with Rainier. She told her of how he would rape and humiliate her. Saltzman went to Rainier's office to speak to him. Before the meeting, Saltzman stated to Natalie that she didn't get good feelings from Rainier. After Saltzman left, Natalie waited and waited to hear how the meeting went. It was four days before Saltzman emerged. When she saw Natalie, she said, you don't know who he really is. And from then on, Saltzman was Renair's right hand. During the days-long meeting, the two hatched the idea for the Executive Success Program, also known as ESP. This was the first brick in the Nexium Empire. Natalie left Renair in 1999. Later, she was dubbed as Nexium's ultimate suppressor for leaving Renair and Nexium. This resulted in approximately 50 break-ins into her home and the death of her dog caused by devout Nexium followers, as well as being legally hounded by Renair for 15 years. Nancy Saltzman was a registered nurse and a practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming and hypnotism. Renair was also interested in neuro-linguistic programming, and this might be what made them such a pair. For those who are unfamiliar, neuro-linguistic programming is an alternative therapy that uses self-awareness to change thought patterns and mental and emotional behavior. With this framework in mind, the Executive Success Program was launched in 1998, with Renair as the leader, going by the name of Vanguard, and his second-in-command, Saltzman, going by the name of Prefect. The ESP was marketed towards professionals and go-getters who wanted to better themselves and further their career. Members paid approximately $2,500 for a five-day course, but 11-day, 16-day, and ethos courses were also offered. In the five-day ESP, students learn the rules and rituals of Nexium, along with approximately 20 other courses, including titles such as Communication and Being at Cause, Parasite and Producer Practice, and Tribute. ESP courses typically took place in hotel conference rooms and were taught by higher-level Nexium members, like coaches or proctors. It was very rare to see Saltzman or Renair in person. Courses were offered internationally, but students were mainly from the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Headquarters were based in Albany, New York. At the start of each course in Nexium, the 12-point mission statement was recited by all present. It was typically written on paper in the front of the room, but it was expected to be eventually memorized. It reads as follows. Success is an internal state of clear, honest knowledge of what I am my value in the world, and my responsibility for the way I react to all things. There are no ultimate victims, therefore I will not choose to be a victim. I am committed to be successful. I understand each of us must raise ourselves and thereby raise all others as all others raise us. This is interdependence. Success in my own right is my earned success. 
True success cannot be stolen, copied, or received by happenstance. I will not masquerade as successful by these methods or any other. I will earn my success. Tribute is a form of payment and honor. It is giving credit where credit is due. I will use tribute to uphold others beyond my petty likes and dislikes. As a result, I will define myself and my true contribution to humankind. Successful people do not steal and they have no desire to steal. I will not steal anything. I will always earn what I need and desire. Copying without permission or tribute is not the highest form of flattery. It is theft. Theft is also taking or receiving something without fully earning it. It is always at the expense, no matter how small, of others. Inner honesty and integrity are the highest human values and the foundation for human psychology. All other values arise from them. I will never trade my integrity or inner honesty for any other value. It is never worth it. The methods and information I learn in ESP are for my use only. I will not speak of them in any way or give others knowledge of them outside ESP. Part of the condition of being accepted into ESP is to keep all of its information confidential. If I violate this, I am breaking a promise and breaching my contract, but more importantly, I'm compromising my inner honesty and integrity. True success is never at the expense of others. As a successful individual, I will never envy another's success. I will rejoice because I realize the success of others raises me up just a bit more because I am also part of the human team. The actualization of human potential by anyone is a tribute to all team humankind. If others are successful, I will protect their successes against those who envy them. I pledge to purge myself of all parasite and envy-based habits and replace them with the habits of effort and interdependence. I will unreservedly accept the success I have earned. I will accept no more and no less. This is accepting with integrity. I will give unreservedly to those who have earned it. This is giving with integrity. I will accept with integrity as easily as I give with integrity. To not accept what I am worth or what I have earned is to devalue myself and thereby all others. People control the money, wealth, and resources of the world. It is essential for the survival of humankind for these things to be controlled by successful, ethical people. I pledge to ethically control as much of the money, wealth, and resources of the world as possible within my success plan. I will always support the ethical control of these things. A world of successful people will be a better world indeed. A world devoid of hunger, theft, honesty, envy, and insecurity. People will no longer try to destroy each other, steal from each other, down each other, or rejoice at each other's demise. Success, ethics, and integrity are co-inspirational. I pledge to share and enroll people in ESP and its mission for myself and to help make the world a better place to live. At the end of the mission statement, it is typical to say, thank you, Vanguard, to pay tribute. 
Now, let's unpack this mission statement a little bit. Nexium members are taught there are no true victims. You, and only you, are responsible for what happens to you. This is known as being at cause. In a way, this could be taken as empowering, since the key to fixing things is then believed to be in your own hands. However, without stating the obvious, I'm sure you can draw your own conclusions onto how this ideology is dangerous and can lead to serious harm. Further, the mission statement focuses on interdependence rather than independence like other self-help groups. We can only speculate for what reason this is the case, but what comes to mind for me could be the reliance on the group for support, resulting in students taking more courses and becoming further involved. Tribute in Nexium is used to show respects to those of higher ranks. Examples of tribute are shaking hands vertically with the higher ranking member's hand on top and the lower ranking member's hand on bottom, or bowing as a sign of respect. The mission statement also includes points relating to confidentiality. On arrival, students have to sign confidentiality agreements, but they also integrate this into their core tenets as they believe it is of utmost importance. Being accustomed to keeping secrets from outsiders will be another ideology that leads to the prolonged suffering of many. At the end of the statement, the focus shifts to controlling money and resources for the betterment of humankind, implying that Nexium members are the only ones equipped for this task. While Nexium was operating, Renair told his inner circle members he wanted to create his own country with his own currency for Nexium members. It was found in a 2009 disposition that Nexium had actually made an attempt at this by getting the names of Native Americans in hopes they would bring in Nexium members and allow them to create sovereign land like a reservation. Another plan included exploring Australia to try and develop their own country within it. Now back to ESP. ESP was most members' first experience with a Nexium workshop, and as mentioned earlier, the first course focused on the rules and rituals of Nexium. Nexium is a rank-based system where members ascend through the levels and with this ascension are rewarded more influence and privilege in the group. They're also viewed as closer to Renair and therefore closer to self-actualization and becoming their best selves. Most members truly believed that when they were in the presence of Renair, they were in the presence of greatness and he could do no wrong. Based on martial arts, members were awarded colored scarves and stripes to display their rank. This system was called the Stripe Path. There are five levels. White indicates a student. You must learn four white stripes before reaching the next level. Renair himself wore a white scarf to signify that he was forever a learner. Yellow signifies coaches, orange, proctors, green, senior proctors, blue counselors, although previous members state they only ever saw one person achieve this level, and purple was reserved for senior counselors. These people were those who worked closely with Renair in day-to-day -day life and typically encompassed his inner circle. Saltzman had her own unique gold stash, indicating her important position as being the closest to Renair. To move up the ranks, you could do any or all of a combination of the following. Show proficiency in course content. There is a sash ceremony at the end of each program. Recruit more people to Nexium programs or receive integrations. 
and you'll understand what I mean by integrations in just a minute. One of the activities members participated in, in addition to coursework in the ESP, was Exploration of Meaning, also known as EM. EM was initially led by Nancy Saltzman due to her background, but then later was taken over by higher-ranking members of Nexium. EM uses hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming to help students work through disintegrations in order to become fully integrated. Disintegration is Nexian speak for triggers or negative emotional associations. Remember that integrations is one way to rise up the ranks of Nexium. These sessions were almost always conducted in front of a group and by their nature contained sensitive and personal material, having the student essentially bare their soul and their darkest parts of them to a room of complete strangers. While working through triggers, the higher ranking member would guide them, often asking, what do you take it to mean? And following up with additional questions with the goal of shifting the perception of the student to better align with the ideologies of Nexium. After intensives where EM was used, at least three members were documented as seeking psychiatric help, with one other committing suicide. In the letter left, the person referred to Nexium courses. However, Nexium claimed this letter was a fake. Contrary to those reports, most students at the end of ESP reported it as being transformative and that it made them better people. This feeling primed members to take more courses and its rave reviews attracted celebrities, actresses, and heiresses. With ESP being such a great success, Nexium was founded as the main company in 2002, and along with it, the recruitment of the Bronfman sisters. Claire and Sarah Bronfman were heiresses to Seagram, which is a distilled beverage company, and they started donating heavily to fund Nexium's growth. As an example, later in 2009, they would donate $1 million for Rainier to host the 14th Dalai Lama. In 2006, Rainier founded JNES, an all-women group marketed as a women's empowerment program. Rainier was said to have done all the writing and the coursework for the program, and claiming that after attending the program, attendees would be closer to self-actualization and have better success in relationships. Previous members attest that the 20-hour curriculum focused on the difference between sexes, and that two of these 20 hours focused on the fact that men are not predisposed to monogamy and that women just have to accept that. Teachings in the program stated that women liked to have sex with men when they were angry, and that most women could only have their first orgasm while raped. The course included a video of Renair lecturing on the topic of the age of consent, and that there were countries where the age of consent was only 12 and that this is more realistic. The curriculum taught that women lacked discipline and morals, that they were needy, impulsive, spoiled, weak, self-obsessed, and lacking loyalty and honor. It is taught that women often cried wolf when they did not want to take responsibility and wanted to avoid consequences. They were told they were not victims, and if anything, women are victimizers, blaming men for their issues, and that if anything bad happens to them, including abuse, it's their own fault. This draws on the ideals learned in ESP, the no-victim theory and being a cause. Jay Ness was one of the major turning points that taught Nexium women to accept being treated as less than and flawed. In 2010, Society of Protectors, or SOP, was founded. 
This was the men's counterpart to the women's group Jane S. It developed the ideologies of the men's side of relationships, that they were hunter-gatherers who provided for others, that they exist to protect and save women who were portrayed as damsels in distress. After a time, a counterpart to the counterpart was released. Called SOP Complete, it boasted to give women an inside experience on what it was like to grow up as a boy in society. The course was a six-day boot camp style experience that placed the participants under severe emotional and physical distress through the various tasks required. The women were forbidden to cry or show emotion since men are expected to be stoic in society. The women had to obey the men who ran the course, even if it negatively affected their well-being. The men running the course believed women needed to learn that no matter what they do, they are always going to be wrong and that men will always be right. Members who attended the course stated the course was an exercise in humiliating women and that people left as shells of themselves, looking like they were beaten into submission. With all this information in mind and the stage set, let's further delve into how Nexium leader Renair used Nexium to achieve his personal goals. The following is a story of previous Nexium member Daniela. Daniela was a dedicated high school student with acceptance to a prestigious university in Switzerland. Her future looked bright. She became a member of Nexium at age 16 after her parents paid for her courses hoping to get a jump start on her future. Daniela revered Renair as an intellectual superior, considering him a mentor and a friend. She believed his claims that Nexium would be the best prepared people to lead humanity and guide them through global disasters. Grooming began as emails and then led to in-person conversations, progressing from friendly conversation to flirting to discussing sex and eventually, Renair started asking explicit sexual questions about Daniela's previous experiences. Daniela confided that she was a virgin. Renair also asked her about her pubic hair, gave her recommendations about her weight, and asked her to keep their relationship a secret. Over time, Renair convinced her to ask him for sex on her 18th birthday. When they first kissed, Daniela stated that she didn't want to reciprocate. She was young and inexperienced with relationships. However, being kissed by him made her feel special and chosen. She thought their increasing intimacy was bringing her closer to greatness and that this was a part of her journey to growth. Daniela stated that she felt more mature after they started having sex, but quickly this shifted to feelings of feeling trapped and owned. Daniela was expected to perform oral sex on him daily and sometimes multiple times a day. He expected her to write him love letters and sulked when they weren't frequent enough. He also told her she must fantasize about him and that it was a requirement. Renair used her immigrant status to keep her under his control. He stated that if it wasn't for him, she would be deported. This became especially pertinent after Daniela's visa expired. Daniela was trapped with Renair for over two years and later was one of the first recruited into the secret organization, DOS. Renair, unsurprisingly, had an inner circle of women who had great influence in Nexium, and they were also his sexual partners. Many of them lived in attached housing and shared Renair. 
One of these women was Camilla Padilla. One day, Renair gave her a chain collar and wrote to her, I think it would for you to own a fuck slave for me that you could groom to use as a tool to pleasure me. Later, she saw another woman wearing the same collar Renair had given her. When confronted about it, Renair stated that he was starting a secret sorority and the members would be branded with his initials. Camilla was hesitant and Renee replied, you don't want to burn for me? At this point in Nexium, many members knew each other, especially those of higher rank. Many attended multiple courses and also participated in unofficial retreats and parties such as Vanguard Week to celebrate Renee's birthday. These formed bonds of trust and friendship. DOS was founded in 2015 and was exclusively invite-only. No one in Nexium knew about DOS. Even members within DOS were not allowed to know who the other members were until introduced. DOS was so secret, even right-hand Nancy Salzman didn't know about it. Potential members would be approached by a higher-ranking member they knew, usually from Renair's inner circle, and asked to join. These recruiters included Allison Mack, Smallville actress, and Lauren Saltzman, Nancy Saltzman's daughter. Potential members thought they were joining a group akin to a feminist Freemasons, a women's only group, a sorority, that promoted growth and becoming your best self. To join, all you had to do was put up collateral. Collateral, in Nixian speak, is something you give in confidence that you would never want to lose or have exposed. Examples of collateral would be a sex tape you don't want released, evidence of cheating that could be revealed to your spouse, or the deed to your home. If you left the group or exposed the group, your collateral would be released and taken from you. The person who invited you decides if your collateral is enough to join. Renier stated collateral should be so distasteful they'd rather die than break their vow. Once you provide your collateral, this person becomes your master, and you, their slave. This brings us to what DOS stands for. Dominus Obsequious Sororium, Master over Slave Women. Initiates were given chains they must wear and never take off. These could be bracelets, necklaces, anklets, etc., and symbolized obedience, being tied forever to their master. Slaves were expected to recruit their own slaves, and then, in turn, become their master. Becoming fully obedient and giving everything up to someone else was seen as putting your growth in their hands and was the ultimate way to reach greatness and your full potential. Next came the branding ceremony. Although initiates provided collateral, Renair required photos of the faces and vaginas of new recruits to review them before they could undergo the branding ceremony. No one knew Renair was the mastermind behind DOS, except his inner circle of slaves, who were the first masters, and reported directly to him. Multiple initiates would gather at one location. They would remove all clothing and be branded while naked, being held down on a table by their sisters while a doctor branded them using a cautery pen. This process lasted approximately 20 minutes per person. Initiates were required to recite the phrase, Master, please brand me. It would be an honor, an honor I want to wear for the rest of my life. Members also vowed obedience, non-disclosure, and submission. 
They were branded, unknowingly, with a cryptic version of Rainier's initials. It was the letter K with the letter R upside down and nestled in the right angle of the K, placed just above the genital area, below the abdomen, and lateral to the hip. You can Google photos if you're interested in seeing an exact copy. Now a part of the group, slaves were expected to be at their master's beck and call. Readiness drills were often used to test loyalty and dedication. Masters would send a text message to slaves at any time, day or night, and if they didn't reply in less than a minute, they would be punished. Punishment could include paddling, whipping, or other physical and sometimes psychological tactics. Slaves were also encouraged to practice daily acts of denial, such as taking cold showers, not eating sugar, or giving up coffee. Slaves were also encouraged to lose weight or maintain weight at around 100 pounds. Due to these conditions, the women were anxious, sleep-deprived, and full of self-doubt and self-loathing. On top of this, the sorority fostered a culture of manipulation and surveillance, with fellow sisters telling masters if other slaves were disobeying the rules. Under these conditions, inner circle masters could easily groom slaves to have sex with Renier, as per his orders and plan, with the women believing that this act brought them closer to self-actualization. He stated that sex with him was an energy exchange, and therefore, to experience the full effects, he could not wear a condom. He stated sex with him was transformative, and that it could help women overcome previous sexual abuse. Since Renier refused to wear condoms, those who became pregnant were told to get abortions. This was enforced and organized by Inner Circle member Purple Sash Wearer Pam Carfritz. After becoming intimate with Renier, Renier made it clear that he expected monogamy from all slaves, although he himself kept multiple sexual partners, sometimes at once. As Renier grew older and could no longer perform, he would ask slaves to perform sexual acts on each other in front of him. As if this wasn't enough, just before Renier was arrested and Nexium closed, Renier planned to install a sex cage in the basement of the sorority. Women could submit themselves to indefinite periods of solitude in unpredictable conditions, with the promise that this would help their growth. For the unpredictable conditions part, Renier planned to implement the use of nipple clamps, handcuffs, and bondage. Thankfully, at least this part of Renier's plan never came to fruition. You may be asking yourself, how did members not realize they were in a cult? Wasn't Nexium confronted? Many members did leave over the years as Nexium practices shifted from their initial thoughts of what Nexium was to the cult-like practices that we're aware of today. These people were deemed as suppressives and that they were trying to hold Nexium back. When confronted about being a cult, Nexium representatives stated, this is a label that conveys no meaning and devalues the group. It is designed to keep people away from the group without saying what's wrong with it. Members were taught to respond to cult accusations with questions such as, what makes this group a cult? What do you mean by cult? And what do they do that's wrong? Renier was very strict about keeping Nexium's course content secular. Certain definitions of cults include a religious component, and Renier believed that as long as Nexium didn't involve religion, it wasn't a cult. This brings us to the end of Nexium. In 2017, the New York Times posted an expose about Nexium's branding and sex slave practices. 
Their information was gathered from ex-members who left Nexium and decided to speak out. This expose prompted an investigation by the Department of Justice, resulting in Renier's arrest in March 2018, where he was found in Mexico after fleeing the U.S. when the New York Times expose was published. Nexium closed June 12, 2018. Renier was sentenced in October 2020. He pled not guilty and claimed everything was consensual. He was sentenced to 120 years in prison. Charges included racketeering, racketeering conspiracy, sex trafficking, attempted sex trafficking, sex trafficking conspiracy, forced labor conspiracy, and wire fraud conspiracy. He was also ordered to pay a $1.75 billion fine. He is currently serving his sentence in U.S. Maximum Security Penitentiary Tucson in Arizona. Five of the inner circle members were charged, Nancy Saltzman, her daughter Lauren Saltzman, Allison Mack, Claire Bronfman, and Kathy Russell, who was a bookkeeper. Nancy Saltzman was charged with racketeering conspiracy. She pled guilty and admitted to hacking emails and accounts of Nexium critics and monitoring women as part of her role in Nexium. She was sentenced to three years, six months in prison, and a $150,000 fine. Lauren Saltzman pled guilty to racketeering conspiracy and admitted she kept a personal slave locked up in her home for two years. Lauren was an inner circle member of DOS. She was sentenced to time served, five years of probation, and 300 hours of community service. Bruffman pled guilty to the charges of conspiring to conceal and harbor an undocumented immigrant and fraudulent use of identification. She admitted to keeping a woman who came to the U.S. with a fake visa a prisoner and forced her to work for herself and the organization. She also helped Renair use a credit card that belonged to a deceased woman. Bronfman was sentenced to six years, nine months, and had to pay $6 million in fines and give $96,605 to one victim. Mack was sentenced to three years for sex trafficking, sex trafficking conspiracy, and forced labor conspiracy. She admitted that it was her idea to brand members of DOS, and that she even branded some members with her initials as well. She pled not guilty, but later changed her plea to guilty for one count of racketeering. She was released in two years for good behavior. Kathy Russell, the bookkeeper, pled guilty to visa fraud and was sentenced to between 6 and 12 months jail time. Those who do not serve time included Pamela Carfritz, the abortion coordinator, who died of cancer in 2016. In 2020, a federal lawsuit was filed with more than 80 people accusing Renair and his inner circle of operating a criminal company, stating it was a Ponzi scheme and a course of community, subjecting members to brutal violence. In the end, Nexium had launched close to 100 offshoot companies including daycares, yoga schools, science foundations, and humanitarian funds. Approximately 17,000 people attended Nexium courses over the 20 years it was open, with many of them never knowing about the cult that laid within until it hit the media. I could probably write several episodes peeling back the layers of the dark abyss that is Nexium, but this is where I'll end it for now. Thank you so much for listening. Any resources used for today's episode are credited in the show notes. 
To keep in touch, you can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram by searching Cults and Crime. If you have any corrections, want to send me a suggestion for a future episode, or if you were ever involved in Nexium and would like to share your experience, you can email me at cultsandcrime at gmail.com. I also have a Patreon account that I will link in the show notes below. For just $5 a month, you can have early access to episodes, as well as exclusive discussion episodes where we debrief topics covered on the podcast. I also accept donations for the podcast, so if you'd like to buy me a coffee or throw some change in the tip jar, you can do so on my Red Circle page, which I will also leave in the show notes. If you can't contribute financially, that's more than okay. You can show your appreciation and make my heart happy by just sharing the podcast with friends on social media or by leaving us a review wherever you listen. I hope to see you in two weeks for the next episode. Take care, friends. Thank you.